Are you a talent trying to make it in the world of entertainment? The way to do that is through social media. But how? With the ebook, How to Profit in Entertainment, Social Media Guide, from author Yolanda Nolly. This incredible book will teach you how to brand yourself and how to earn profits using social media and other entertainment media platforms. The entertainment agencies will be offering you high-paying jobs. How to Profit in Entertainment, Social Media Guide. Order your copy today on Amazon and everywhere else. Are you a talent who wants to learn how to make it in the world of entertainment? Yolanda Nolly, author of How to Profit in Entertainment, Social Media Guide, is conducting an entertainment workshop in Maitland, Florida, January 29th. There'll be guest entertainment and industry speakers. For information, email Yolanda at radiotvtalentsearchmgt at gmail.com and learn how to become a star. Tickets start at just $10. radiotvtalentsearchmgt at gmail.com.
Chapter 1. How to Rise to the Top When Everybody There Is Already Think you've got talent? You're not alone. The power of the internet, YouTube, and reality television has created a big pool of famous and not-so-famous people. So how do you rise to the top in your career, especially as an actor or actress in Hollywood, when it seems so crowded above? These three tips will help you make the moves to superstardom and stretch your 15 minutes of fame as a movie star into an hour. Get trained. What separates the actors from the imitators? Their respect for the craft of acting. Before you spend money on headshots, find the best acting, singing, and dancing classes in your area, and invest in your career. The most talented people in the business continually train with acting coaches to prepare for roles. They don't take their gift for granted. It is quite possible to have the innate talent for a particular art, but the successful entertainers who continue to work in the entertainment industry have developed their art over time. Acquire multiple skills. Become a Jack or Jill of all trades. The stars of the future will write, produce, and direct their own projects. Don't get lost by having only one skill that can make you money. Become an actor, director, writer, producer, and even a model. Can't write? Collaborate with a young filmmaker who needs an actor or fresh new face for his or her projects. The top money makers in show business look for ways to increase their market share and find opportunities to promote their multiple skills. You must diversify your talent to stay relevant. Create your own products. Be a trendsetter. Want to be the next Barry Gordy, Steven Spielberg, Mark Burnett, or Oprah Winfrey? Create an amazing product. Become an expert in your field. But you can't be a trend follower. You must be a trend setter. Don't better the worst product. Better the best. Gordy is a musical genius. Spielberg is a film mastermind. Mark Burnett is the whiz kid of reality TV. Oprah is a successful talk show maven and the new product's best girlfriend. Find a niche, create products, and sell. But the products you create must be phenomenal, not average, not mediocre. Think like the greats. Improve upon their successes. Create amazing products that your audience can't live without. Famous people of the future are increasing their knowledge, creating products, and diversifying their talents. Some of these innovators are stealing the thunder from established stars that are still following the old rules found in the star-making playbook. Use my suggestions to stay ahead of the next group of reality stars and home video masterminds. If not, you might disappear before you even enter the game. Chapter 2. Finding Ways to Make Money Using Your Artistic Whether you have great musical talent, the ability to paint, 
or have outstanding writing prowess, you may be able to find ways to make money by using your talent. You certainly should use these skills to your advantage and not let them become wasted on just a recreational hobby. Musicians have so many different venues to go out and sell their talent, while a real, serious artist might still be able to sell their work if they can get their work exposed to the public eye. Writers often have a tough time trying to get their work published, but have outlets like short story and freelance opportunities as well to make a buck. While the most common stumbling block for an artist to find ways to make money is often their hardline stance on not wanting to be a sellout and wanting to keep their trade pure, this will often keep the artist very poor until they are dead. The smart ones will get out in the marketplace and try and get their art sold to as many people as they can. Quite a lot of musicians will work as cover bands or do things like weddings and school proms to make a buck, and writers will sell their work writing things they have little interest in just to gain notoriety and bring in the cash as well. This is often the price an artist has to pay before they are established in their venue of choice. If you are someone who has a talent, you may want to start looking for ways to make money from that talent, even if it is a weekend gig just doing kids' birthday parties as a juggling cowboy or singing with a Beatles cover band it will allow you to make some money doing what you are good at and potentially open some doors for you to expand off of that talent. No matter what it is you ultimately want to do with your life, letting your artistic skills find ways to make money for you cannot hurt. You never know how far your talent may take you these days, as the avenues to exposure on a grand scale are more plentiful than they used to be. From YouTube to American Idol, there are many roads to success these days. The best thing you can do is try your hand at as many paths as possible and see where it leads. If it never works out for you, so be it. You can return to your boring 9 to 5 day job and keep singing on the weekends. Chapter 3 How to Make Money from Your Crafts and Art If you are someone who enjoys putting together artistic projects, you can turn this into an opportunity to make extra money online. Whether you paint, make jewelry, take photographs, or craft other pieces of artwork together, you can turn this into a money-making activity. People are often willing to pay for different artworks which they enjoy, and as long as your works actually have artistic merit, you will have a good chance at making money from them. There are a few different websites available which can help you sell crafts and other pieces of art that you may have put together. By running searches and looking through some of the listings offered, you may be able to determine which website your pieces will fit into best. Taking the time to do your research will help you make extra money online as you will know the best places to put your talents without wasting your time. Should you start to make extra money online through your art projects, you will only be inspired to spend more time working on them. This will serve two purposes in your life. Not only will you be bringing in some extra cash, which always helps, but you will also be able to spend time doing something that you genuinely love. This goal, which started out simply as a way to make extra money online, will turn into a great chance for you to develop your talents and skills and grow as an artist. It is definitely an opportunity which should be explored by anyone who is serious about developing their talents. Chapter 4 The Right Way to Use YouTube to Promote You 
When we think of social media, YouTube is not really at the top of the list in the mind of an entrepreneur. It is less about social interaction and more of a good place to go for some distraction. This might be the case, but that doesn't mean it cannot be an integral part of marketing your brand online as an entertainer. What makes YouTube a social site is how easy it is for users to share the content with other people, as well as the ability to leave comments and subscribe to the channels they like. It is another way for a brand to reach its target audience online and grow its reputation as an industry leader. YouTube has the lowest average bounce rate of all the social networks. It is the continuous engagement from users that make it a channel that holds onto attention better than most. People are able to simply watch content instead of scroll and read. Another thing to consider is just how enormous YouTube's reach is over 1 billion unique visitors. That is a huge market that is largely untapped by so many businesses today. YouTube is a great channel for brands of all sizes in the entertainment world, even for bloggers who are eager to grow their readership and build up their personal brand can take advantage of the simple platform by uploading videos. So as a brand, what should you be doing to get the most of all that YouTube can offer? First, fill out your profile completely. It is the same on every social network. You don't want to leave holes. Make sure that you are giving as much information about yourself as possible. Visitors want to see your info when they click on your profile, so don't leave them disappointed. Then, give your channel a good description. The channel description is like an introduction letter. It lets people know who you are and what they can expect when they watch your videos. This doesn't have to be a great work of literature, simply a brief statement about who you are, what types of videos you will be posting, and how often. Be sure to use your keywords in your description to make your channel easier to find through a user search. Be sure to include links. On your About page, it is always a good idea to include the links to your other social sites, like Twitter and Facebook, plus a direct link to your website or blog. This is a good way to get more people engaging with your brand outside of YouTube and build your fan base. Give your page some love. You can personalize your channel art in YouTube by adding a profile picture. Make sure that it is something reflective of your brand by using your logo, colors, and even your own picture. Stay active. You don't want people visiting your page and only finding a few videos that you posted at the dawn of time. Always create new videos to post to your channel. Interact with your followers by responding to any comments that they leave. Send out a thank you when they subscribe. You can see anything being discussed on your channel under the Discussion tab. The more active you are with your channel, the bigger your audience is going to get. It is also a good idea to embed your videos into blog posts, status updates on social media, or on your website. This is a good way for you to add channel subscribers from those who are already following you elsewhere. YouTube is a key part of any marketing strategy. Are you using it for your brand? Hey, 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 everyone. It is Yolanda. 
Denali, your host for radio and TV entertainment, AMFM. Today is Hot Tuesday, and I've got hot news for you, everyone. Uh, this past week, uh, this past last week, I had in on the Anchor platform, Mr. Bruce Nyheen, Hollywood legend. He released a lot of just amazing, uh, you know, background about his life, uh, you know, and how he got started in Hollywood. And, um, him, you know, I'm not going to give you all the details, okay? Uh, you got to pull teeth out of me to make me say that. <laughs> just kidding. But it, it was just uh, amazing, the the impactful information. And this is what this platform is all about. Radio and TV entertainment. AMFM is a platform for the entertainment talent out there. That's right. We I like to bring to you entertainment industry professionals like Mr. Bruce Naheen. Leg- I mean, he's a legend in Hollywood. And up and coming Charles D. Clark, the inspirer of Hollywood, the inspiration of Hollywood. Wait till you get to hear him. It will be amazing and very impactful. His story will bring you to tears and bring you joy at the same time and bring you glory and insight. Glory be to God on that one. That's right. I said glory be to God. We need to put God in Hollywood. Because there's a lot of uh, details that go into being an actor. He'll get all into that. Inside and out. Upside down. uh, All around. And and every bit of detail to bring to you what is necessary to know about surviving as an actor, musician, talent, um, tactics to increase your royalties, how to do it, um, every knack of detail for everyone that's in entertainment. And this is the inspiration of what this platform is about. Uh, it's for all the listeners out there who ever wondered about how to make it in the entertainment industry, whether you want to be director, whether you want, whether you want to be a actor, musician, how to get started, or those who just want to go to the very next level. Maybe they've plateaued in their career. There's many that have, that are well-known in Hollywood, that plateaued after so many years. and They're trying to recreate their character. This is what Bruce, Mr. Bruce Naheen talks about, Naheen talks about, and uh, check him out on IMDb Pro. He's always open. For anyone to mentor, uh, for anyone that he can, you know, mentor, bring inside to count them to grow. Um, a lot of A-listers go to Mr. Bruce Naheen to get that information, to get to get mentored by a great man like him in Hollywood. He was the creator of Red Dawn, by the way, um, with Chris Hemsworth. Amazing. So, um, and then, of course... Uh, a good golly brother of mine, Charles D. Clark of Empire, of the TV series Empire. And now he's going on for a bigger project called Volkoff. I cannot wait to 
have it hit Prime, uh, Amazon Prime. I cannot wait to see this. I, it's 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 just beyond, like awesome. Uh, it's just beyond that, um, beyond awesome. It's going to be amazing, and everybody needs to get a front seat that can take a thriller uh, feature film feature move feature film movie like this on Amazon Prime. It's going to be amazing. And he plays the character Bruce. I saw his character Raw, him creating it. He's a method actor. So all I can all I can say is that I felt like I didn't want to meet Bruce the character in a dark alley. That's all I have to say to that. So <laughs> but stay tuned everyone. Be on the listening here, the listening ear watch on this platform, radio and TV entertainment, AMFM, with your host, Yolanda Nolly. Out. Morning, Marge. Oh, it's you. Finally decided to show up for work, huh? Before you give me some half-baked pitiful excuse like the dog ate my gas pedal, aliens stole my underwear on my personal favorite, you had a gray matter leak in your brain and were waiting for the plumber. Give me one good reason, just one, why I shouldn't give you your walking papers right now. You know, technically, Marge is correct, quack. These fabrications cloak a dormant inbred desire to shrug responsibility and return to infancy with a poopy diaper. With a what? I'm waiting. One good reason, March. I'll give you three. How about this is my office, you're my secretary, and you work for me? Oh, ah, uh, well then good morning, Dr. Quack. <sighs> I'll be in my office. Why do I even put up with her? She harasses the patients, lets the phone ring off the hook, and couldn't type a decent letter at gunpoint. As you colligate these facts, I must admit that was a little drastic. The gun wasn't loaded anyway. Wait a minute. Why am I even talking to you, Zig? You don't exist. You're just a figment in my mind. Fine. I'm here with you day and night to help you with your psychosis. And you treat me like some bad sushi left for months in the bottom of a desk drawer. I wondered what that smell was. Thanks. Regardless, I'm the psychiatrist here. Me, Dr. Quack. Doctor, understand? What do you think the DR in front of my name means? Delusional regression, if I took a clinical stab at it. Very funny, Zig. That's your opinion. Excuse me. 
Mr. Delusional Regression, your next patient is here. Tell him I need a few minutes. <laughs> I'm smelling the pungent aroma of a soiled diaper again, Quack. Look, I treat imaginary characters, and I can't even get rid of you. Maybe I should just end it all. That's irrational. And I refuse to be the one to add to your own destruction by telling you the gun is under your latest issue of Mallard Girl magazine in your top drawer. Oh, thanks. Maybe. Maybe I'm just tired and hungry. I'm kind of short on money, and... I would allocate the funds, but I left them in my other attire. Ah, gotcha! You don't even have the money, because you don't exist! Now, who's the best psychologist? Both of us. Why? I purposely failed to tell you where the bullets were. So, Quack, how long have you had this fixation with self-destruction when I could easily sell tickets or send you spam emails? <sighs> another day, another psychosis. Hey, this is Yolanda Nolly with Radio and TV Entertainment AM FM with Bruce Naheen. Hello, Mr. Bruce. It's very good to have you in the studio and get a chance to have another chit chat about your background and your history in Hollywood and filmmaking. I knew we were speaking, speaking a little bit before about you being an entertainment lawyer at one point. I know now that you're retired. You're a mentor to many actors in the industry, and I'd like to know a little bit more about that. Well, I actually did acting in about 20 movies, too, but I, I love teaching young film producers to make movies, and I love working with young actors, young screenwriters to help launch their careers. Right now, I have a young man who's nominated for a Grammy. His name is Major in the traditional R&B who I've been shepherding a bit. I was pleased to be involved in his first two music videos. Several of my mentees are now on TV on various programs. A couple of them have become reasonably famous directors. And it's just gratifying to see their careers launched. Oh, wow. I saw that you've done many, many films. You work with all age ranges when it comes to the industry in film and, and acting. And I, I had no idea that you did music videos. I'm, I'm a little set back because I, I, I like to do my research. So. <laughs> yeah, if your audience listens to Major, he's got a song that's done 70, 80 million views called This Is Why I Love You. He's nominated for Grammy for a song called Honest. And I'm incredibly pleased with his career. He's now doing a six-episode arc on the TV show Star. Anyway, you guys can find him on YouTube under the name Major, or now that's Major, or, or just look up This Is Why I Love You. I love that title, This Is Why I Love You. Now, during the step of the, of the process of the video, were you helping him with the filmmaking of the video, the acting in the video? How far were you engaged with his uh, development? I was engaged in the producer's side. The things you just mentioned are mostly director things, but I had some input, you know, as producer. Now, I noticed that when I was honored to go and visit your IMDb profile, I saw that you had a video 
and it was yourself and a young actress. It was kind of a spooky, eerie, I guess it was a, a film clip, and you were reading her story, but I, I never got a chance to actually get the title of that particular movie clip. Don't peek. Oh. Is this a newer movie clip? Yeah. Oh. It was about a year ago. And it's called Don't Peek? Yeah, it's a story for your audience. Apparently, as a young man, I encountered some supernatural beings and certain things happened to me and I was warning her that if these beings come around her because I suspected they might that she should look at them eyeball to eyeball because things would happen to her and of course she thought I was being foolish and an old man and disregarded everything I said beings were like the boogie people yeah they transported her into the mirror and then things happened to her and she stopped being in the mirror at the end obviously i mean horror movies always have happy endings of sorts very true and i realized that you are actually one of the producers for red dawn yes i was with uh, chris hemsworth and what was if i have the story correct it was about people that were, were held you know hostage is that right Russians invaded, and they were fighting the Russians as, as rebels. It was a remake of a Patrick Swayze movie, maybe 20 years ago. I do remember, because the title really sounded like a reenactment or a re, a, sort of a, a rewrite of a, an original work. Yeah. If people go to imdb.me slash Bruce Nahum, they'll see that I had done, I think, eight movies with Patrick. So it was an honor to be involved in a remake of a Patrick movie. That's how I got involved. I can I certainly imagine how much of you know, a body of work that he has been involved in as well. And then to know now that you are one of his mentors, if I may say. We were social friends. This man was a dancer, an actor. I'd like to know a little bit more about, you're a producer yourself and a mentor. What advisement would you have for up-and-coming actors, you know, to really redefine their skills? I think what they need to do is build a big filmography. So I would have each of them call film schools and volunteer to be in student films. I suggest they get involved in a lot of shorts because acting school is more theoretical and give them a chance to learn and grow. That's how you get started. And especially if you're at SC or UCLA or AFI doing student films, these are the future directors and they'll remember you. Now, with school, because there, there are so many schools out there when it comes to filmmaking, when it comes to learning how to be a, a great scriptwriter as well. Three of the top four film schools in the country are here in LA. That's AFI. Number two was USC. Number three was my alma mater, UCLA. Then we moved back east for number four, which is Tish, which is NYU. With screenwriters, what would be your advisement for those who are wanting to be behind the camera, but also would like to develop the, you know, develop a more of a greater, more work in, in, I guess, in Hollywood when it comes to screenwriting? Networking. There's a million billion scripts out there. And unknown writers have a very small chance of any given script being sold. There's so much competition. 
there were 49,000 movies made last year, but only 110 or so released into theaters. I do a lot of judging of film festivals, and I see a lot of really good features that never really got released, or they're looking for releasing now. Generally, in VOD or SVOD, that's a streaming on demand, or which Netflix or Amazon are, or they're on like out here Spectrum Charters, the Big Fish. There's a lot of VOD selections there. I watched one called Goodland last night. That I wonder why it never got distribution. Do you feel that maybe there's a few screenwriters that don't know the、uh, the actual you know that they rush through the beginning stages, developing their script writing and then you know putting everything together to actually have the film to be made and distributed? Well, the first script is generally not the shooting script. So one of the things a young writer has to realize is that although he'll get credit, his script is not going to be the final script. A lot of young screenwriters don't have their techniques down well enough to be the shooting script. But writers just need to network. They need to go places that directors and producers hang out, so that they can sell their works. Because most beginning screenwriters are not going to get a manager or an agent until they've got something published. It's a vicious circle. Because I hear it a lot that you know when it comes to you know screenwriters that. They don't know that there's, to a certain degree, is going to be rewritten, and maybe rewritten as a final, you know, to get it finalized. It's good to. Do you feel it's also for for screenwriters to get it analyzed, to get their screen、uh, plays analyzed? There are some wonderful people called script doctors here, who will read scripts and give writers notes. And if you're really serious, they're not cheap, but you really should. Should have a script doctor tidy up your film.、Uh, one more thing: if you're doing a TV series,、uh, I see a lot of kids writing five or six episodes of a TV series to try and sell it. You only need one episode. I'd rather see you have six different TV shows, one script each, when you're trying to sell, than than have one story, one program. It's a lot easier to get in a room when you can pitch six or seven items. And when you only have one, would that also be the same for maybe a feature film as well? Yes, it definitely is. Because when you go to a manager or an agent, they want to see a volume. I do hear that a lot. Where it's, you know, screenwriters may have a good script, you know, and it catches the attention of maybe a producer, but they often ask, "Do you have another one?" That's right. I suggest that. All screenwriters enter into the various screenwriting contests that the film festivals all have. They all have a festival where they show movies, of course, but they also have judging for best screenplays or stuff. And if you become a quarterfinalist in one of the bigger film festivals, you've got a better chance of finding a manager or an agent. With the second screenplay. If it's a movie, a feature film, would it be best for them to have a second runner-up screenplay for a TV series, or would no, not necessarily? I mean, TV series are in a lot of competition too. I mean, I think that they should just write what they want to write, enter these festivals, and get some accolades there, and then go find a manager who who can help direct them further. Is it necessary for a screenwriter? To have a agent, 
Yeah, agencies, especially the big ones, they know who's looking for what. They know what production company is looking for what genre or kind of script. Uh, an individual sitting at home isn't going to have this information available, and that's why first-time writers are at a loss because they don't really know who to submit to and who's looking for what. I mean, the old thing is, well, I'll send my script to somebody who did Black Panther or Black Klansman or Rome or something, but generally, a producer's not looking to do another movie similar to one they've already done. So it's best if you can get an agent, but you're not going to get an agent until you submit to those festivals and get some accolades. Mr. <laughs> um, Bruce, I truly see that there are many of them that are unaware because I do hear, you know, that it is best for, and I truly agree when it comes to having an agent because they'll have a, a larger network for that. Well, right. They, you go to CAA, you got two, three hundred agents uh, whose information are called every day into a little sheet that all the agents get that says Bill is looking for a script about two girls on a road tour or whatever and they know to whom to submit the, the writer at home doesn't have this information I don't have this information should a screenplay writer consider producers that have similar themes rather than similar films well if you know one that does action adventure yeah then he or she is probably looking for another if they've been successful Take a guy like Mark Pratt, who does mostly musicals. He probably would be less interested in a romantic comedy than, say, like a Will Packer, who does a lot of them. What would be the largest thing that you've, that you've seen throughout your time in Hollywood that causes, you know, actors, screenplay writers, or, you know, anyone in the industry that's, or per se, screenwriters to, to actually have setbacks? I wouldn't say fail, because I, I believe there's no such thing as... Well, the setbacks are negotiating to sell a script and the negotiations fall apart. A lot of times it's because the screenwriter suffers a disease that's here in Hollywood. It's called narcissistic syndrome. A lot of screenwriters think that they're the best. They got the next best Star Wars and stuff and they need to be a little more realistic and lower their sights not to being a $100 million blockbuster but maybe a $20 million drama or a $500,000 Hallmark movie. You know, cut your teeth, get your filmography built. Don't shoot for the home run right away. You got to build your house. Would it be best for those who are in screenwriting to shoot the film themselves, go low budget and to start feeling, you know, building their portfolio? Well, that's one way to do it, but that's going to cost you $100,000, $200,000, too. You, you've got to get investors and stuff who believe in your product that way as well. If they can do that, it certainly helps their filmography. It can help them get in the Writers Guild, things like that. If they were to go that way, that route, what would be the things that, some of the things that should, they should consider when They need to find somebody who's skilled at selling scripts. Again, we're, we're back to the agent again, but if not an agent, a manager, there are people out there who make a profession at selling scripts. They're called literary agents, and that might be somebody they want to pursue rather than pursuing a talent agent. A lot of the big houses have a lit agency department, both for TV and for film, 
there are smaller boutiques that only represent writers, so they have to do their homework. Would the Screenplay Writers Guild be a first step for beginners, or would they have to necessarily, you know, kind of work on the lines of getting it into festivals first? Festivals are the first thing. If you don't get on Blacklist, you don't become a quarterfinalist in Nicholas or Sundance or some of the bigger ones, then then you're not going to be as noticed. So so they've, they've got to keep submitting to these festivals. They need to get those accolades if they're going to look for a manager. When you write a letter, a query letter to a manager, you're going to say, hi, I got this great script that's a, a cross between Chris Nolan and George Lucas. Well, they're not really looking for that. What they're looking for is to see how you placed in these festivals. So if your letter says, I was a Nichols semi-finalist or quarter-finalist, that might pique up their interest more than I have this great script that's a cross between Christopher Nolan and George Lucas. I mean, these lit agents are, are panning for gold every day and they're only looking for the nuggets. So if, you, if you've placed in one of the big screenwriting festivals, that'll be a a really good boost to finding a manager or an agent. And what would be one of the notable festivals that screenwriters should look for? Well, there's always the, the big ones, Sundance, Berlin, Toronto, things like that, tell you right. But there are contests like Blacklist and Nichols and stuff. Screenwriters should Google script contests and, and they'll find 20, 30 places. And, as much as they can afford, I have to submit everywhere, but I really wouldn't do that until they had that script reviewed by a, a decent script doctor, because the competition is pretty severe. One of the things that irritates me when I read a screenplay is spelling errors. When it comes to writing, you know, grammar and punctuation, it matters. <laughs> it matters. Well, yeah, if you got spelling errors in your script, it just irritates me. I, I, you didn't take the time to spell check. I do see the prominence of that, especially if there's dialogue. And maybe, you know, when the judges are looking over that script, they're going to think, well, what if a professional actor were to try to read the dialogue? It's going to be quite difficult to get through if, if there's errors. Well, right, and that's why you go to a script doctor who will help with the dialogue. I mean, it, it's far easier to write a three-page, four-page short story than to actually sit down with final draft and write dialogue. And a lot of things that makes and breaks a film, that makes an Academy Award winner or not, is the pacing of the script, pacing of the story. I mean, a concept may be great, but it may not be delivered properly in the script. And that's what I'm saying. A first-time screenwriter really has to be tight and really special, you know. And I noticed that there are elements as well, such as, you know, with the, with the screenplays, like the log line, the tagline, those elements. Right, now, there tends to be stages of a script, three or four acts in a script, and they have to flow and they have to be logical. But that's what really good screenwriting classes can teach you. If you go to UCLA Extension, they have a tremendous one. Your audience around the country, find your local film university. You know, whether whether it's uh, Michigan State or Tisch or wherever, you know, enroll in extension classes and learn how to learn the fundamentals of screenwriting. It's different than writing a short story.
And should screenwriters have a background in filming, in directing a film? I don't think that's necessary at all. Uh, a lot of the major screenwriters go from screenwriting to directing, like Aaron Sorkin, Christopher Nolan, to give you two. But no, I don't think so. I, it wouldn't hurt to take a directing extension class, too, and learning about directing, what directors are looking for. I mean, you're sleeping in the same bed. You know, learn to talk their language, learn to know how to write a shooting script. But that's why I say go to the local university's extension classes or pick up some good screenwriting books. There's some really good books out there. A lot of the times I see that there's elements that are missing when it comes to that precious screenplay, such as the structure of it. I believe there's there's more back the skeleton when it comes to the screenplay. Well, right. That's why they need to look at these screenwriting books and take these classes to learn how to complete, the, the technical term is completing the arc. You know, does this character's story get finished? Do I care about this character? Am I rooting for this character? People always have to root for somebody in a film. Could be the bad guy, but you gotta root for somebody. You have to care about somebody in a lot of screenplays leave you lacking in, in somebody you want to root for. You don't want your superhero to be a silent character. <laughs> in a, in no, but it could be the bad guy that stands out. I mean, let's talk about Dracula. I mean, it's Dracula's point of view. You know, a Frankenstein. I mean, it doesn't have to be Batman. I mean, there's TV shows out there that have bad guys, too. You know, evil, vicious people. I was just looking at a series analyzing Gotham. Interesting. I love the perspective of it. Where you take Bruce Wayne, you know, from his parents being murdered, and then he develops his way. You know, the TV series helps develop his way through him actually coming to know himself. Well, Batman is really a character seeking revenge. And you need to understand that. I mean, Batman is a pretty dark individual who's got a lot of a childhood baggage, obviously. You just have to be true to the characters. That's for me. You have to understand what's motivating them and why people might not root for them or might root for them. Supposing your major character is an assassin. Uh, you got to be interested in him and you want him to carry out his assassination successfully. I mean, James Bond is not the nicest guy. He called him a double agent at some point. Well, he kills a lot of people, you know, and you just have to understand the character. The current person playing the role plays it a lot differently than Roger Moore and Sean Connery played it. He plays it more as a human being, you know, complete with problems. His wife was killed, you know, that bullet intended for him on a bridge, you know, things like that. So it's more finding out why the character is carrying out these actions, giving them a backstory of why. Right, you need to have that explained in the script. That's what I'm saying. You got to have people vested in the characters. In any of them, I mean, we're following a character for an hour and a half. We got to care about them. So that's why they need to take the screenwriting classes and be sure they've got all this enunciated in the script. And that's why going to film festivals are good because a lot of times you'll get notes, you know, from the screener and stuff. But I do. A film festival is always a little comment box on my judging 
meaning that there's there's notes. Right, that they give those to the people. Why? Why did you only give me a six instead of a ten? Well, I did that because you're acting stumpy. You had a great story. You know, whatever. I'm making that up. You know, your writing was great, but it was slow. The movie was slow. The characters weren't relatable. The actors seemed cardboardish. You know, whatever. I mean, there's a lot of things that makes a movie successful. If I were a budding screenwriter, I'd watch a lot of shorts. Because、uh, you're seeing different talent of different directors and different writers. Just see what's out there. Go to film festivals that have shorts. Sundance does it out here in L.A. Catalina Film Festival is terrific for shorts. It's pretty much three days of shorts. The L.A. Film Festival is, is mostly shorts. I don't know where the bulk of your audience is, but there's a gazillion film festivals. And a lot of them live off of shorts. So, if I was a screenwriter, I'd study other people's art. Their approach to this, you know, to how they, the writing of their screenplays. Right now, the director directs it and stuff. I mean, you can watch twenty shorts at a festival instead of one movie, and you'll learn a lot more. Should they also? What would they need to have in order to enter the, those festivals? You you fill out an application. You submit a script. Pretty simple. You pay a fee in a lot of them. Some you don't, but most you do. Festivals survive. They get entry fees. Where the people have the shorts or or the full length features or the screenplays. You know what runs the festival are those entrance fees. And is there a minimal fee for for certain large festivals such as Sundance? You'd have to Google and see what each one's fees are, but some of them are as high as a couple hundred dollars. Some may be fifty bucks. But you have to look. Do if I were a screenwriter, I'd I'd find every festival I can that has a screenwriting competition and enroll in as many as I can afford. And would it be a better approach for to enter into a festival with more than just one screenplay? Yes. It's like I was telling you when you go pitching, you want to have six or seven. Submit a couple of them. I mean, you'll get that good feedback from the judges too, and that's important. There are companies that sell coverage of scripts. You can hire them to write coverage, which are reviews of your scripts, critical reviews, and look at the notes, see what they're saying about your script. Go to a script doctor. You know, refine your. Script. I mean, that's the problem here in Hollywood. We all have narcissistic syndrome. We think well, our art is perfect, and no screenplay is perfect. You know, I guess that's kind of the、uh, war against、uh, creativity. That is, there's so much expansion. Like an artist, you have your abstract, you have your realist, realist artists. <laughs> you have ones that like to work with watercolor, kind of paint the scene. Exactly. Well, I mean. But Christopher Nolan's scripts and Brian Coogler's scripts and you know Aaron Sorkin—they're all different. What a screenwriter ought to do is they ought to get a copy of Rocky One and compare it to Creed One and see what Ryan did to adapt Stallone's script. I mean, the story's pretty much identical, but there, there's some differences. It shows the nuances of the writer. When I first saw Rocky, the first Rocky, the original Rocky, this is hearsay, but I heard that he did it on a very low minimum budget. Yeah, he did. It was an indie film. 
and the way it was done, and I, I believe that Rocky, call him Rocky, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone had his brother to do the soundtrack. In fact, the complete soundtrack was, was sung by his brother. I know in Eye of the Tiger, which was the second or third one, his brother, I don't know about the first one. I don't remember. And I saw that in each, in each film, you saw progression with his character. He had a new, a sort of a new battle he had to conquer with progression of that particular film. Well, the stories weren't so much about him and the fight, it's about him, the person, and how he evolves, and his wife dies, and his trainer dies, and he develops a, a bond with Apollo Creed, which is how the Creed movies start off. The Michael Jordan character is, is the son of Apollo Creed. And now Stallone's in the, in the situation of being Mickey, the trainer. That's why I said, if you compare the scripts, you'll see the art form differences between what Ryan Coogler did and what Sylvester Stallone did in Rocky 1 and Rocky 2. I mean, Coogler did more than just urbanize Rocky. I mean, he has his own flavor in there. He's a talented young man. I believe he's also a uh, entertainment lawyer. Who's that? Ryan Coogler. I don't know. He went to SC Film School. I don't know his uh, his background. I love the adaptation because I remember, as, you know, growing up, everyone was. I know I was in kind of engrossed into the Rocky, the filming of that, and it just when Apollo was taken down, I was like, no, <laughs> no, why can't he do that? <laughs> Apollo, look, look what it's doing to Stallone, you know. Well, with Creed's death, it gave the opportunity for Ryan to write stories about Creed's son and for Rocky to become the mentor. Very good acting in that film, but I have to say, he really knew how to talk to Apollo Creed's son because he was a father, well, too. Yeah, but Stallone was really playing the role of Mickey. I mean, the outline's the same. The girlfriend, we got Tess Henderson, and we've got Coppola. I forget her first name. Florence? No, no, it, it, it's Francis's sister. Talia Shire was her name. Talia Shire played the role differently than Tess Henderson was playing it. It's very in-depth, you know, creating and building the characters and the story, and, and then, you know, finally being able to pitch it. I guess you really, with the screenplay writer, have to be able to define psychologically how to break down the characters to make Yeah, it. I mean, if the characters aren't interesting, who wants to watch the movie? It would be flatlined. <laughs> you know, I, I like watching Cougar's version of Creed just to see how it was different than Stallone's. But Cougar has the benefit of Stallone being his mentor. So... The executive producer of Creed is Stallone, you know, so so he's getting the benefit of Stallone's insight. And that's what screenwriters need. They need somebody to teach them. I mean, Kruger obviously learned a lot from Stallone. He went on to do that beautiful film, Black Panther. I remember finally being able to watch Black Panther and the adaptation for the comic book character and finding, you know, Rutu because I'm hearing that he's doing a, a film now whether they're talking about it doing something called Mansa Musa which would be well he's finishing he's finishing or just finished Creed 2 I have no idea if he's doing a sequel to Black Panther what he's doing I, I don't know I haven't talked to Ryan in years 
that was a beautiful film. I heard that that would be interesting if he did a second follow-up to to Black Panther and really and introduce because in the original Marvel comics, Storm was actually the queen, I guess, as counterpart to one of the queens in one of the series of Black Panther at one point. Well, I'm not familiar with the comic books, but there there are enough of them in there where Ryan can draw inspiration for sure. It walked away with several nominations that were announced yesterday. I think they got 10, which is the first time a comic book's been nominated for the Academy Award. Really? Oh, wow. Yes. Ryan's very talented. I, I worked with him a little bit on Fruitville Station, and he's a smart guy. You know, he, his background is way different than most of the screenwriters having grown up in Oakland and stuff, but he's a brilliant filmmaker. No question about it. Gonna hear a lot more from this young man, you know, through the next forty years. I hear that uh, you know, Michael B. Jordan and, and Ryan are just stuck like glue. <laughs> Could be, but uh, Jordan has the benefit of being an actor when he's done with the party goes on to another one. Ryan is stuck for two years with that film. So that they relate differently. Mr. Jordan goes on to other projects. You know, they work thirty, fifty days and then they move on. Whereas a, a director has that project for a couple of years. So with a fine, an amazing, you know, producer, director, and writer like someone like Kugler, how did he begin <laughs> his career? Did he start like everyone else? He went to SC Film, which is a great start. Good school. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know what he did in Oakland before he went there, but he was in the MFA program. I don't know where he. He did his undergraduate. With his background, did you see him doing more? He's got a marvelous career out of him. He's very talented. And, and he's prolific at writing, too. He'll be like Chris Nolan. He'll write and direct a lot. You'll see him for a long, long time, God willing. He's talented. And now he's got an Academy Award nom. So, I mean, he's a force to be reckoned with. Yes, he is. <laughs> I know I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of his work. Definitely Black Panther and the creator, Mr. Nolan, and so many others. Spielberg. Spielberg doesn't write. Wow. So he's a, he's a little different than Nolan or Cougar in that sense. So someone like Mr. Spielberg, he directs and he's a phenomenal producer. And yeah, he's very much Ronnie Howard's of that genre, too. They don't like the screenplays. I remember Star Wars. <laughs> And when I found out, you know, Ron Howard, you know, he did... He did Solo. He was brought into Solo when they had two weeks' worth of work left. I don't know what went on over at Lucasfilms, but Kathleen Kennedy fired the two fellows who were the directors. Their name didn't appear on the credits. I don't understand the director's guild and how that all works, but Ron Howard came in and reshot some scenes and cleaned it up and I think he only worked two weeks but you know we're, we're spe speaking of his career I mean he began as an actor is that well you, I'm 65 I don't know how old you are Yolanda how old are you I'm 43 <laughs> alright well you were too young to know the Andy Griffith show but I'm not and I remember him playing Opie at 5 and 6 years old I remember you know him being uh, a part I used to watch it with my family Okay, well, yeah, he learned his craft doing that, and then he did uh, Happy Days. And uh, George Lucas put him in American Graffiti. 
he was supposed to be the star. He ended up being the star, but he was supposed to be the bankable star in American Graffiti. But there was so much other talent, and there's so many famous people in that movie. It's just amazing how a lot of them got, you know, really got their start. You know, would would that be a natural road? Is it easier for, you know, writers and producers to start out being an actor? Certainly. Actors go into writing very easily. Producing, fortunately, not so much because I make my living helping creative producers who have passion projects but don't know the business of、uh, making a movie. But Ron Howard has Brian Grazer as his partner, so he's got a producer. Steven Spielberg had Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall. You know, so they all have them, and we've been talking films. A lot of your audience probably has no clue about all this, which is is to their shame. Because if you're going to be a good screenwriter, you better watch everything. You you better have an encyclopedic IMDb brain, where you can pull the name Charlie Shire out of out of thin air when you're talking about Rocky. And if you're going to be a good screenwriter, you better know what other people have done and what other people are presently doing. I mean, you've got to. Do your homework. It's very true. You know, it, there's so much. I, I hear that there's so much of a business when it comes to film. Being a person that understands how to communicate with the directors and producers on a business. Well, that, that's where people like me come in. I don't know necessarily that a screenwriter has a business acumen. I've got a law economics background, not a film background. But writers need to have people understand the business of Hollywood, whether it's their manager, their agent, their attorney, someone like me who consults in business affairs to help shepherd their projects and shepherd their films. I mean, I don't know how much Steven Spielberg knows about distribution or any of that stuff. He's probably picked up along the way, but when he did Jaws, he probably didn't know. I know he didn't know when he had close encounters. Because I was dating the producer of Close Encounters when I first met Stephen. Oh, I、so. remember Close Encounters. That was a prolific movie, and so was Jaws when it first came out. And Jaws, he had Richard Zanuck as his producer, which was brilliant. And Close Encounters, he had Julian Michael Phillips. I mean, Spielberg doesn't produce movies. You'll see his name as an executive producer, which means he helps in the financing. But he he used Frank Marshall and Catherine Kennedy almost exclusively through his career. Like Ronnie Howard uses Brian Grazer. It's a different skill. It's a different skill. Is it best for those incorporating in when it comes to screenplay to really you know surround themselves with those in the same genre, or does it matter? It doesn't matter. I I would think that that what you need to do is the old adage about the way to become the best runner. Is not to be the fastest runner in your running group. It's to be the slowest runner in your running group, and the people faster than you will help you get faster. Because I hear so you know so many of those out there who say that there are some that try to speed up the process when it's really it should be a kind of like the、uh, tortoise and the hare, <laughs> so to speak. Slow wins the race. Would that be well?、Like、it depends what you're looking for. If you're looking to do a Hallmark movie. They have quick turnarounds. So Buzz Danger, dear friend of mine, Richard Switzer,、uh, Jamie Thompson—they make、uh, a lot of great product 
better for that TV movie market. And, and that has different governing rules and regulations and say a universal feature. In your experience, which would be the best for those starting out to develop? Would it be much more, would it be a feature film? Or would it be a TV series? You know, I have problems with the TV series because the reality is most TV series, the script is bought and the writer may or may not be involved after that unless they have a name. They'll be lucky to even be in the writer's room. There was a show called Rizzolian Isles with Janet Tamara. I think that was her name, was the creator, but she hasn't been around for years when they were doing it. There's a show, Ray Donovan, God, Biederman. She was the original showrunner, but she didn't last but a season. And that's because the screenwriters don't really rule the roost in television. The networks do. When you sell a script to a network, you're giving up a lot. If you do a feature, you have more control. It depends what you want. But if I was a young writer, I'd write some pilots, I'd write some screenplays, and I'd submit to all those festivals. Some are TV festivals, some are movie festivals, and get yourself known. You know, start networking, go to the events, go to the festivals. Instead of listening to me talking right now, you should be getting your ticket to Sundance and waiting to see the results of your judging on your script. So it's, it's, it's definitely good to for them to, to get out there and network. And well, yeah, there's an old story, and I don't remember if I mentioned the last time I was on your program, but there was a very heavy set comedian who had met a very famous comedian in acting school. I think it was acting school. And he asked if he can crash on a couch for a few weeks. Well, a few weeks became months and years. And famous actor realized he wasn't going to get rid of this couch potato until he found him a job. And that's how Kevin James got King of Queens because Ray Romano got tired of living on his couch. And that only came from being in film school together. You know, you look out for each other. The guy who founded Amway said the more people you know, the more people you know. You think of the typical Amway, some gal selling Amway and one of her girlfriends does a tea party and she gets other bookings from the tea party, but your people who she never would have met but for the first person through the first tea party. And it, you just expand your business. I don't even know where my clients come from anymore. You know, it's been 40 years, people refer, and I could be 10th generation by now. They may not even know who the original person was that came to me, you know? So it sounds more, you know, like it's, it's just word of mouth, getting out there, having your business cart ready and being able to sit down at the table, know the industry. Yeah, that, that's all about networking. The Producers Guild does mixers. The Writers Guild do mixers. All these film festivals have mixers. Stop listening to me and go buy your ticket to Sundance right now. Should they have a business card? Well, yeah, Vistaprint sells a thousand cards for $14. That means it costs you less than two cents a card. Bring a thousand of them to Sundance, give them all away. I know the box of cards or set of cards for the next one. Because they're only two cents each, and you know, you never know where that two cents might lead you. Most of the time it's going to go in the trash. 
But what if somebody really keeps the car around and says, hey, let's call Bill. Let's call Yolanda and see what she's got. She was pretty cool when we were having beers at Sundance. That is, you know, something that I hear a lot, you know, when it comes to media. Would it be productive for those who are using it? Because now you have social media and you have Periscope, you have YouTube, you have, you even have the... YouTube's a great place for your shorts, YouTube and Vimeo. I see a lot of them using Vimeo a lot. Yeah, but you've got to have a good social media manager who knows where to promote this stuff and how to promote this stuff. Every day I get five or ten emails, you know, watch this, watch that. Is that, would it be a good place for them to have a link on their business card? And say, I have a couple of shorts on my YouTube channel. Would yes, it would be, be a great idea. You know, or Vimo. And could they have... Where, wherever it is, yeah, that, that'd be great. Especially for your young director. One thing for your screenwriters, never submit your screenplay until you've gone to the federal copyright office and copywritten your script. Don't use the WGA's filing system. Go directly to the federal copyright office. That's copyright.gov slash E-C-O. And that's very important. Is this $30, $35? Something like that. 50 if there's two authors, and I think it's 35 if there's one. But you need to do it, and it takes a half hour. And would you recommend a screenplay writer to do a, a poor man's copyright, or is it better? No, absolutely not. Spend your $35. See, if you file with the federal government, let's back up. If you go to a lawyer's office, he's got all these law books and all these statutes. There, there's a set of laws called the federal copyright law that gives you a lot of rights and a lot of protections, but only if you register your script with the federal copyright office. Poor man's copyright, which is mailing it to yourself or going to the Writers Guild for timestamp doesn't give you those protections. Spend the $35 and get a real copyright. I love having you as, as my special guest, Mr. Bruce Naheen. We've, in our last 60 minutes, what would be your suggestion for those in the millennium now who really want to get their a fresh start in the industry? Whether it be acting, screenplay? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, if you're acting, go to good acting classes, do a lot of student films, build up your filmography. Agents only like to sign up low-hanging fruit because people they can easily sell. They're not into developing you. If you're a writer, keep writing. Keep going to festivals. Keep networking. Keep submitting to the festivals. Same with the, the young filmmaker. Submit your shorts to as many festivals as you can afford. Get your name out there. You know, that's what it's all about, networking. And living in Sioux City, Iowa won't help. Come here to L.A., we need more Uber drivers. You know, do your art between your writing, you know, and, and do Uber or Lyft or Postmates, one of those kind of things. There's plenty of those kind of jobs here in L.A. Hey, I, I wouldn't hang out in Sioux City, Iowa, and wonder why no one knows who I am. This has been a wealth of, of building information on radio and TV entertainment, AM, FM, and this has been amazing, man. You definitely, if you're out there, you're beginning, you want to know Mr. Bruce Nagin. 
if I'm saying this correctly. Yeah, well, it's Nay Hen, but have them go to imdb.me slash Bruce Nay I'm on Instagram at Ed Bruce Nay I'm on Facebook. Check me out. I, I respond to every email. That's Bruce.Nahan at Gmail. So, so give me a holler, Dan. Mr. Bruce, I want to thank you. I cannot wait to, uh, to have you back again. Sure. Absolutely. We'll do it again. And this is Yolanda Nolly with Radio NTV Entertainment, AMFM, and this has been our special guest, Bruce Nahan. Take care, guys. Show with Yolanda Nolly. Nolly, Nolly.